you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles or put a bookmark in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be uh, focusing a lot on that in just a moment, Hebrews chapter 12. At least that will be one of our main passages that we focus on. It's good to see everyone this morning. Good to be able to sing praises to God, to worship our God together. Uh, And it's just good to have the blessing of of salvation and a relationship with God. And so as we think about our relationships with God, I want to start by thinking about the, the next generation and what we see time and time again throughout the Bible about what can happen just within a generation. In Judges chapter 2, we find very clearly that it doesn't take that long for, even though you have a very faithful generation, it can just be the next one that rises up that it's godless. And it doesn't care about God. It's not faithful. It doesn't care about His law, His commandments. And so it's something that we have to be ever mindful of. And so we have to be continual, relentless, and repetitive in our preaching and teaching of the gospel if we want to build up a truly faithful generation. And not just a generation that's riding on the fumes of of their father and mother, but one that really has true, sincere faith in their lives. We need to be constantly focused on this and constantly reevaluating if we're doing everything we can to make sure that we're building up a faithful generation. Now, I, I wonder, what do, you, what do you think this takes? What do you think it takes to raise a faithful generation? What do you think it takes to raise faithful children? This is something I've thought about a lot, especially with Hawk, you know, almost being a year now. Uh, before we even had him, I remember asking uh, J.R. and Sue Bronger, what are the top three things that you think needs to be focused on for parents if they want to produce faithful children. And they said a a few things. Uh, We're not going to focus on everything that they said, but one of the main things, one of the top three things that they mentioned was the notion of discipline. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is the need for discipline, how God expects us to discipline, and, and how we need to be open to God's discipline. And, and when we know what God expects from us in this, then we can do better in pro- producing a faithful generation. We can do better. I can have a better understanding of how to produce faithfulness in my child. Uh, and that's something that we all need to be more focused on individually and <clears throat> across the board so that we can help our brethren. God has a lot to say, and I mean, I mean a lot to say about discipline. Uh, for both the younger generation and the older, regardless of the age, regardless of maturity level, regardless of experience or lack thereof. There's a lot that God has to say. We're not going to hit everything, but I do want to mention a few things. And so I just want to begin by talking about the absolute need for discipline, and specifically God's discipline. The Proverbs have a lot to say, uh, especially. The wisdom of God um, speaks about those who ultimately reject God's discipline, reject that kind of training from him, and he also speaks about those who are godly who receive it. And, and one thing that I want to take away from all of this is that sometimes uh, there, you know, we have the opportunity to be disciplined. We have the opportunity to go to the word and hear what God has to say, but the problem is we're not open to it. And how many times have we had Bible studies with people and we, we want to talk about one topic or another, but the problem is it doesn't matter what they hear, it doesn't matter what you say, they just don't want to hear it. And so one of the things that we have to be cultivating is a heart to hear God. And, and frankly, that's something we have to focus on as parents. That's something we have to focus on as individuals. No matter what relationship you have, no matter what role you find yourself in, every single one of us have to be working on this. And so we need to come to God's word to see how do we produce this kind of heart and how do we, uh, how do we try to provide this 
uh, for, for uh, those especially that we have a responsibility for. And so God's wisdom is very clear on this. In Proverbs uh, chapter 10, we'll, we'll come back to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, it says, He is on the path of life who heeds instruction, but he who ignores reproof goes astray. And so when you, and there are going to be several passages that we look at, especially in the Proverbs, but from the very beginning, what we find is that the one who actually is heeding instruction, the one who heeds God's discipline and heeds his counsel, that is the one on the path of life. And what you find throughout the Proverbs is it's, it's an either or. I know that there's always, uh, there, there's a lot of times room that we need to make for nuance, but there's really not much nuance when it comes to the Proverbs. Yes, there, there are going to be exceptions but still, that's the exception, not the rule. And what God says is, either you're going to be on the path of life, or you're not. And who's on the path of life? It's the one who heeds that instruction. The one who is not on the path of life, it's the one who ignores reproof, as the New American Standard says. In Proverbs 12, in verse 1, Proverbs 12, in verse 1, it says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. That's the New American Standard translation. Uh, and, and I know sometimes uh, people don't like uh, when, when the word stupid is used in the pulpit. I use it because this is what we find in the, in the scriptures. And frankly, that is the point that God is trying to make. The one who loves knowledge, that is the wise man. The one who loves, uh, or, or the one who loves, uh, as it says in verse 1, discipline. He's ultimately going to love knowledge. Because that's what comes. The one who loves discipline is the one who will attain knowledge. The one who loves discipline is the one who is going to grow. The one who does not love discipline, they're not going to grow. They're not going to gain knowledge. They're going to remain uh, in an ignorant state. Over in Proverbs chapter 15, Proverbs 15, and there's going to be a few verses that we read here. Proverbs 15, beginning in verse 5, it says, A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. Now, this is one thing that Paige and I have talked about a lot and we're going to continue to talk about because especially trying to raise a faithful child ourselves, this is something that we have to try and figure out. How do we get to a point where he does not just despise his father or mother's discipline? How do we get to a point? And, and frankly, it takes everything we're going to talk about today and it takes coming to God's counsel to provide that kind of heart and that kind of spirit. But what it says here is that the godly is the sensible one. The ungodly, what he's going to end up is... It's just being the fool or continuing down the path that he's already on of being a fool. And so I want to be labeled as sensible and viewed as sensible by God, not a fool. Going down in verse 31 of Proverbs chapter 15, verse 31 and towards the very end of the chapter, it says, He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. And so just in this verse, again, it's an either-or. The one who loves reproof and loves God's discipline, he's the one that dwells among the wise. But the one who does not love it, of course he's not going to be among the wise. In verse 32, it says, just in the next verse, He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. Have you ever met someone who, you know, does the same silly things over and over again and brings consequences on themselves? And, and you look at that person and you're like, why? Why do you keep doing this? The very definition of insanity is doing something over and over again expecting a different result. Uh, and, and I think that this is at least kind of one of the things that the Proverbs condemns. What it says is the one who neglects discipline despises himself. The one who just constantly rejects God's counsel, he doesn't, 
He doesn't care for himself. The one who cares for themselves, the one who is, is striving to do better and striving to better themselves and striving ultimately for a healthier and better life for themselves, they are going to acquire understanding. They are going to look to God's counsel. Uh, one, uh, one other one in just this chapter, Proverbs 15, verse 10. Look at what it says here. I know we're kind of jumping around, but in verse 10 it says, Grievous punishment is for him who forsakes the way. He who hates reproof will die. And that word reproof, you see it over and over again, it is just another form of discipline. That's what we're talking about. And so the one who forsakes the way, the one who rejects reproof, or grievous punishment awaits him. But the one, obviously, who on the other hand seeks that wisdom, he is not going to, uh, he's not going to uh, end up in that kind of punishment and destruction. Uh, one other passage that's not on the screen, but I thought this was a good tie-in in, in Proverbs chapter 29, Proverbs chapter 29 in verse 15, Proverbs 29 in verse 15, it says the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. In verse 17, correct your son and he will give you comfort and he will also delight your soul. So as we kind of wrap up this notion of what wisdom, God's wisdom have to say about this, how do we cultivate this? Discipline needs to, to always be consistent. Discipline needs to constantly be a part of that, that daily regimen, a part of that daily nourishment. And so this is absolutely needed because the godly, the inevitable end is maturity and wisdom. But the inevitable end for the one who will not receive discipline and reproof, that's the person who will end up as immature and foolish. And so that's just some of the things that the Proverbs has, has to say about this. Does it seem pretty clear about where God says the one who rejects reproof and training in this way is going to end up and where the one who receives it is going to end up? It's pretty clear. But not only that, not only is there blessing in accepting it and consequences, dire consequences in rejecting it, it's interesting to see how God discipline, uh, when, when he disciplines people, it's a distinguishing mark of his true child. Now, over to Hebrews chapter 12, and this is where kind of I think a lot of our, our main thoughts come from when it comes to God's discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll begin in verse 4 because it gives a bit of context. As he's writing to Christians about the afflictions they're facing, he tries to kind of bring them back and say, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And again, he's quoting from the prophets here, or the Proverbs. It says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So again, this is one of the main texts that we tend to come to when it comes to this kind of training and discipline. But it really is interesting when you think about the fact that God is still engaging in this today. This is something that is so important. This is such a need for all of us that what he says is, I'm still continually disciplining my children. Now there's three things that I think are important to note about that passage. One, he reveals that this is done out of love. Secondly, he reveals that it will be difficult. It can be painful. And it will be painful. There's a promise there. 
but he also says it, it, it will be worth it. So when you think about that, in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 12 that we just read, as it says, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. That word scourge, such a negative connotation. That's kind of an ugly word. We don't like that. And yet what we see is that's what God does to those whom he's trying to help, those whom he's trying to better. And when we look at how we are supposed to be disciplining, whether a child or a brethren, it should be done out of love in just the same way as God does it. I, there are lots of people that, that will say, you know, things like, oh, I'm going to go edify this man, all right. They don't mean edify. They don't mean they're trying to discipline him out of love. I've, I've, ha I've, I've seen this happen, and, and I know of people who can edify people and even rebuke people without it being hostile and aggressive. And frankly, while, while it's not, you know, sometimes it is much more, you know, direct and much more stern, even coming from God. But God, when he disciplines, ultimately what it comes from is a heart of love. And therefore, if, if his children are supposed to be participating in that, it needs to be coming from a heart of love as well. And so that's one thing that I think we need to take from that. But especially in verse 11 of that last verse that we read in this passage, you can kind of split it up into two different points. Because, as we already indicated, sometimes that discipline is difficult. It's painful. And there's really no way around that. But just because it often is painful, it is, as we were just talking about, it's, it's not meant to just hurt us. Some of the best parenting I have ever seen is when parents look at the afflictions their child is going through and because it's, it's not something that's, that's a burden they can't carry themselves, they let them suffer through it. And, you know, we, Paige and I have had those conversations with a few people that we trust, that we look up to as parents, and even our own parents. I know I'm going to struggle with that with my child already. Because it, when he puts the cry face on, it's, it's just about done for me. It's really hard to have to bear that. But sometimes that crying is necessary. And even though it tore me and Paige apart having to let him cry it out a few times, sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes he needs that. And I will say, one reason that I'm doing this lesson about discipline is because uh, I, I know that sometimes people will probably see me shushing Hawk. It may be a bit too early. I'm not, I'm, not doing, I'm not doing it out of anger or anything. One of the reasons that I think this is so important is because you start early. You're trying to get that across very early on in life. Trying to say, shh, 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 shh. We don't, we're not loud here. And it, I, don't, I don't really think that he picks up a ton on that, but he is getting consistency. And at some point, probably sooner than later, he's going to start picking up. This means be quiet. This means not so loud. And so, you know, it, it, I, I, the reason I say that is more of a defense for me because I know sometimes people will say, hey, you, you, he's okay. He's not doing that much yet. Uh, I'm trying to get him started so that way when he is doing much, he knows there's more discipline coming after this if he doesn't mind. But, but this is one of the benefits of discipline. Yes, there are times where it may be hurtful. It's not always going to be hurtful. Uh, and, and frankly, it shouldn't, as, as we were just talking about, if it's done out of heart of love, it shouldn't be that we want to make it as difficult as possible. But like God, we need to be willing to, to let that pain, let that difficulty set in so that way we can learn together. Uh, but thirdly, as I was saying at the very end of verse 11, it does say that it's not going to be joyful, but it's going to be sorrowful for the moment. But look at what it produces. God says it's going to be worth it. Back over in the Proverbs very quickly. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Towards the end of the book. We didn't look at this, 
but it is one of the main passages that we tend to come to anyway. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, again, there's something to say about that this is the rule, not the exception. I know that there is going to be exceptions from time to time, and those are tragic. Those are, those are awful. But this is the rule. And so when we do uh, start early, uh, I think just as we were talking about with, with that last example, I think what we're doing is providing the best chance for the rule, making sure that there won't be the exception. It's all the more reason to start early. And it's not just for, for kids. It may be that I'm way past infancy. It may be that I'm in my 50s, 60s. It may be that I'm in my 20s, 30s. It doesn't matter who we are. Starting early also means start now. It doesn't matter if maybe we haven't had the discipline we're supposed to have had to this point. What God says is, you start now, and you're going to be, and, and you're already cultivating that right heart. You're cultivating the ulti, ultimate conclusion or the inevitable conclusion being that reward instead of the consequence. And so, just understand, not doing this is ultimately leading for disaster. If this is not done properly, if this is not done God's way, God has clearly said that only devastation will follow. We've seen that from the Proverbs, from the wisdom of God. We've seen that even in the New Testament that God says it's so important that he's still doing it to this day. We must, must uh, put the right emphasis on this. Discipline is required by God and it is required for us so that way we can grow and that way we can reap that reward. But if we are constantly ignoring it, if we are neglecting it, what do we think is going to happen? And so for the next few moments, I want to talk about the discipline that God expects from us, the types of scriptural discipline that, that he mentions. First of all, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16, and we're going to go on into chapter 4, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now, I think it's interesting that a lot of times we, and, and because we're trying to make one point in, 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 instead of, you know, every point, but a lot of times we read verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3, and then we kind of leave chapter 4 out of it. But this is connected. As he's talking to an evangelist, as he's talking to someone who has to be mindful of all scripture, who has to be mindful of what scripture is supposed to do and produce individually and collectively. What he says, this is what scripture does. He, and he uses all these words like training, instruction, reprove, rebuke, admonish, teach, encourage. Uh, we sometimes use the, the, the term withdrawal, reconciliation. Each of these are terms that refer to scriptural discipline. That God would say is discipline that is required of his children and of his people. And as Paul is writing to a young evangelist and he says this is what scripture does, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God, you need to be preaching these things. And through the teaching of God, this needs to be occurring. And so sometimes I wonder if maybe discipline isn't occurring or it's not occurring the right way simply because teaching is not happening in the home or collectively. And so that's a question we also need to answer. But I just want to, for the next few moments, think about each of these different ways that we are supposed to discipline from God's word. And so first we start with this notion of instructive discipline. One way that we learn is by following or growing in instruction. In Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, 
another very familiar passage, but Ephesians 6 and verse 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Once more, you know, we could go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and see how, how this is supposed to be done, the kind of attitude. It's not done provocatively. It's done, hopefully, so that less damage will occur. It's done, hopefully, so that things can, can move on in a, pro, in a productive way. And, and this is, you know, not just with children, but this is how we all learn. We tend to look at instructions and follow it so that we're going on the right path. In fact, that's how we need to be looking at the scriptures. Back over in the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Speaking in terms of a father to a son. It says, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. That is one thing that we need to be very, very emphatic of when it comes to discipline. But sound teaching, do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. Talking about wisdom in that way. She will guard you. She will watch over you. That's what wisdom does. And so, and then you skip down to verse 13. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. I think a lot of times what happens is we start in instruction, but then for whatever reason, maybe something catastrophic happens in our lives. Maybe something just, uh, some kind of complacency sets in. We started real well with instruction, but then we slowly get away from it. Or just because of whatever happens, we just forget about it and then never come back to it. But we need to stick with this kind of instruction. While this is from a father to a son in Proverbs chapter 4, there is obviously a very strong application needed for us, our relationship with our Heavenly Father. There's not one part of Scripture that we should read that has to do with a father and his children and not see what God is trying to teach about the relationship we're supposed to have with him. And so when he says in the wisdom of God, do not let go of instruction, What do you think that means for us? Don't you let go of my instruction. Now, what does this kind of discipline look like today? Because again, not all discipline is negative. Sometimes it's used pejoratively, but frankly, there's lots of positive discipline. Can you think of any examples where we do positively discipline each other? Bible class, that's one. And that's not a negative situation. That's not a bad environment. That's a good environment where we learn together. The monthly men's study, the monthly ladies' studies, those are good, uh, uh, positive ways that we discipline one another. Individual study, our daily Bible reading, we are instructing, we're, we're following instruction, we are being positively disciplined. One of the things that I want to make clear about all of this is it doesn't always have to start with a negative context. In fact, when you think about people who discipline their bodies, you know, it's the ones who look at it negatively that are going to fail. But the ones who look at it positively and try to view it in a positive light, oh, you know what? It's going to hurt, but think about the reward. Think about the benefit. Those are the ones that are going to succeed. And, and, and so we need to look at discipline in the same way. It's not all, it doesn't always have to be viewed in such a negative light. Every single time we engage in any one of the things that we just listed, we're disciplining ourselves, and this is good. And so not all discipline should be looked at in, in such a negative way. And so we are disciplined in an instructive way. We're also disciplined in a cautionary way. Have you ever heard, I mean, you, you have heard the word admonish. 
Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll read uh, this passage in just a moment. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, again, constantly, Paul has to use this kind of language, speaking not just to evangelists, but speaking to individual Christians and churches, saying, these are things you need to focus on. When the, the notion of being admonished or an admonishment, it means to warn, or maybe just simply put in mind, put in someone's mind. Get someone to consider something, to gently reprove, to caution, obviously. Again, there's a strong connection to this being done in gentleness and in affectionate love. But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. It says in verse 14, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And so he, there's several words that are used there. The first one that's used is admonish. But it is interesting that throughout all of these, it's very clear that the attitude is love and gentleness. And not just immediately starting at, you know, the, the highest level of tension possible. And so when he says admonish the unruly, it's interesting because that word unruly is the same one that's used in Second Thessalonians chapter 3 for those that have walked astray and are continuing to be unrepentant of their sin. And even here, he says, you don't start with the highest level of discipline, you know, the highest level of discipline that, that you know, exists. You start, hopefully, gently. It doesn't start with disassociation. It doesn't start with withdrawal when it comes to the unruly, those that are walking astray. But rather, it starts with a longing appeal. It starts with a cautionary appeal. Think about what you're doing. Think about where you're going. But it, it I mean... It doesn't end there. Uh, and as we already indicated in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verses 14 through 15, it does not mean that just because it should start in a positive way that it won't inevitably get to more of a negative kind of context where there is some kind of punishment that has to happen. And so it's not, this isn't to say, Paul isn't saying that, you know, maybe there's going to be some people that walk unruly, we admonish them, but then we never do anything else. If they continue in it, in 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, you need to make this you need to make this real for everyone. This person is unrepentant. And so that's the kind of discipline that he's talking about. It starts with gentle love and it ends with love that is willing to let there be pain and affliction. In fact, you turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Not only uh, do we admonish in, in that way, in a gentle way, but look in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. This has always been very interesting to me. In Colossians 3 and verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in the hearts to God. When we sing, we're teaching. And when we sing, we're admonishing one another. When we sing, there are, there are some hymns that I think are, are very good at this. They serve as good reminders. They serve as a good way to instill thoughts that need to be considered deeply into people's minds. Sometimes you sing the hymn, Yield Not to Temptation. That's a good song to sing, especially when you're about to start the next week going out into the world having to deal with the world. We have to remember we can't yield to temptation because there's a lot out there. We sing songs like angry, angry words, Oh, let them never from the tongue unbridled slip. What is it doing? It's making us consider further. You don't want to go down this route. Or uh, one of my favorite ones, Jesus draw me ever nearer. How many times has that hymn been sung or a hymn like it where someone in the congregation, someone who's, who's singing it and listening to everyone else sing it, are more in that situation than anyone else? That they need the reminder of where I'm going. 
and, and I'm laying all of these earthly treasures down, and in fact, I'm, keep, I'm, I'm leaving behind all of the problems of the world by coming to you. That, that's how we admonish one another. That's a way that we teach one another. And it's not negative. That's a beautiful thing that we can do. And just remember that when we are singing, we are admonishing and teaching one another. And I think that puts all, all the more weight on our worship when we do that. But the next form of discipline <clears throat> is corrective. And even this doesn't have to start out negatively. This is fixing something. It's adjusting something that is off in our thinking or our actions or our behavior or our beliefs. And, and so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is one of the reasons that I, I really want to stress. It does and it can start with uh, uh, a, a gentle loving uh, or loving gentleness. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. And so what does Paul tell this man? He says, you need to be able to correct people gently. He even uses the word gentleness. You need to be able to go to people and try to get things solved rightly. And can you think of an example where this happened? In Acts chapter 18 with Apollos, Apollos, he was a man who didn't really do anything, you know, incredibly wrong. He was off in his teaching, and so he had to be corrected. Now, if he had continued to go down that path and continued to, to uh, teach wrongly, okay, well then obviously that's wrong. But what happened was there was immediate resolve. It was com completely resolved because Apollos and, uh, 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 or rather Priscilla and Aquila, they go to Apollos and they correct him quietly in, in such a friendly and, and a non-frustrating way. But because of our American culture, a lot of times what happens is we immediately start with, I'm going to tell you what's what. We immediately start with, how dare you? That's not the way it should start. It needs to start with gentleness. Can we correct people? Can we correct brethren without being hurtful? Our Bible studies will be hurt if we can't. And our relationships with our brethren will be hurt if we can't. We should have the ability to correct in, in a loving way. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 12, you can see the, the, the same idea being used that God's grace, it instructs us. It corrects us. But this does not mean that it's never punitive. And so we'll finish with this, that this is not just saying that it's never going to have to be something that, that, that we, you know, that, where it, it's uncomfortable and so we don't have to do it. Sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable and sometimes we're going to have to go that far. But what I mean by punitive is that there's a penalty. There's punishment. And unfortunately, as a parent, I'm not looking forward to that. But at some point, I'm going to have to punish my child. But ultimately, four is better. And ultimately, four is good. This, and frankly, this is not a suggestion. This is God commanding us to do something and warning us of its need and warning us of the consequences if we don't. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 20. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 20, it says, Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Paul never would have started, you know, unlike Priscilla and Aquila, he never would have started with just the, the most extreme levels of discipline. What he wanted was for people to come back and be reconciled. But when nothing happened, what he said was, something needs to give, and it can't be the church. And, and that's why when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, constantly Paul says, if there's unrepentant sin, you've got to do something about it. And when there's a child who, who constantly continues in rebellion and constantly continues to reject a parent's authority, what has to happen? There has to be some level of punishment so that they learn that can't happen anymore. 
Because think about what would happen if, if there was no correction, there was no punishment. God expects serious and logical adherence to this kind of commandment. And why is that? Because one thing he wants to do is protect all the faithful from the spread of that kind of contagion. He wants to protect them from continuing in that kind of behavior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 6. 1 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 6, as Paul is talking about one who, who was committing sexual immorality and, and to a pretty disgusting degree, it says in verse 6, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So what does Paul say? Why does this have to happen? Because if you don't, it will spread. Over, and, 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 and verse 5 of the same chapter, he says, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Is this done just to be awful? Is this done just to be mean? No, it's done to save. It's done so that way the best chance that they have is given to them. And I, I can't tell you how many times parents have talked to me in warning me and admonishing me about how to parent our children. You want to be consistent and you don't just want to give because it will spread and it will grow. That rebellion, that, that rejection of authority. You want to do the best, give them the best chance at faithfulness to God. You want to give them the best chance at heaven. You need to be willing to let them suffer the consequences. And I think it's the same across the board. Uh, and I think that's one of the main things that Paul indicates in 1 Timothy chapter 1 in, in verse 20. That, that he handed them over to Satan so that way they would be delivered. And, and, and also, not only that, but Paul says that this is to teach all the faithful. It's to teach everyone else that there are consequences that no one is exempt from. That God has said no one is exempt from. In 1 Timothy, again, chapter 1, that we just mentioned. 1 Timothy, or chapter 5, rather. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 20. It says, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I know that sometimes it's hard to have to mention, the, uh, talk about, you know, what's, what's going on. And I know that that's happened in the past. And there's a lot of conversation about how, how hard it is to hear that, how hard it is to do it. But why does Paul say it has to be done? So that way everyone understands the commandment of God and that no one, no Christian is going to just give in to that. Uh, that, that, that they're not going to keep that commandment. And so it is a gross and immature understanding of the Bible to think that this is mean-spirited or un unhelpful, that this is to be done with glee even. We need to be constantly focusing on disciplining the way God expects us to, constantly focusing on building up faithfulness individually and in our children, individually and collectively. So are we instructing the way the Bible says we should be? Are we doing a daily Bible reading? Are we instructing ourselves in that way? Are we uh, attending the Bible classes? Are we attending the monthly studies that we have? Are we trying to help out in teaching the Bible classes? When we see an empty slot, are we looking at it and just passing by? Or are we thinking, how can I help instruct? How can I help discipline in a good way? Am I coming prepared? Am I trying to help in every capacity that I can, that I am able? If I'm not, can I really say that I'm disciplining the way God expects me to? When I'm admo am I admonishing when I can? As it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, am I spending more time on putting holy things in mind or putting carnal things in mind? 
Am I spending more time thinking about, you know, all kinds of things that can't be proven, you know, fables as Paul would put it, you know, genealogies and things like that? Or am I focusing on things that are truly going to edify? And are we really correcting and disciplining, punishing the way we should? When we should? Are we doing it with the appropriate desire? There, there, there have been, unfortunately, moments where there have been, again, unfortunately, parents who did find glee in disciplining their children in a very, in a very negative way. And that's not good. That's not how I want to be with my child. And that's not how I want to be, by extension, with brothers and sisters. This is something that we need to do with love and with gentleness. And when we have to not spare the rod, because I know that a lot of people say that God's way of disciplining, you know, doing it with children, that means that, you know, it's, that, that's, that's wrong. We shouldn't be doing that. But frankly, this is the commandment God has given. Someone says that's God's role to discipline. Yes, and we must not try to hinder or change that. We need to do it God's way and not try to adjust what he said, even though the culture around us says we can't do that. And again, with a spiritual application to, to the church. When someone says, that's not loving, how can that be loving and discipline like that? So, so when God disciplines in that way and punishes, God's not loving? Are we really going to go that far? No. When God says that we don't want to spare the rod, it's because we love that child. It's because we love that person. And so we are going to give in to God's commands and not just the sensibilities of the world. And really, ultimately, what we're saying is that child, that person, does not matter enough to me. I'm, I'm okay. This is the translation. I'm okay with them going to hell for the sake of my comfort. comfort. I don't want to have to discipline my child, but I would much rather him go through that affliction, that level of pain, than end up in hell. And so I'm not going to spare the rod. I'm not going to spoil the child because I want him to be in heaven. And it should be the same across the board. You might notice that when you think about the word discipline, what lies in that term is disciple. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus calls us to be disciples, he's telling us that we are going to be have to be under his discipline. Have you been baptized into Christ, you're a Christian, and maybe you have gone astray from that discipline. Maybe you haven't been training yourself, instructing yourself the way you should have been. You can come back. You can make things right. Be like the wise man, the godly man, as the Proverbs speak of, and make things right. It doesn't have to end in destruction. It can end right now. If you're not a Christian, are you willing to be disciplined by the Heavenly Father completely? Because it is only through that way that he says you can be in heaven with him. And so are you subject to the invitation of Christ by any means? Please come forward as we stand and as we sing.